Hi, welcome to The Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. We are presented with the support of Weatherhead Executive Education at Case Western Reserve University. I'm Dan Paletta. Seems when Clevelanders are asked about the things that they love most about this region, one of the things that's always at the top of the list is their enjoyment of the Cleveland Metro Parks with some 18 reservations, eight lakefront parks, eight golf courses, a wonderful zoo, and a lot of other attractions that keep people coming back to those parks and other parts of it over and over and over again. The man in charge of the Metro Parks for the last decade is Brian Zimmerman. This ever-growing entity seems to be a key part of Northeast Ohio, and we're glad to talk to Brian today about it on The Landscape. Brian, thanks for being with us today. Well, it's it's truly a pleasure to be here, and um, it feels like fall is really upon us at this point in time, and it's honestly one of my favorite times of year to get out and enjoy the parks. So it was interesting. Cranes published a poll during the mayoral election uh, asking people a variety of questions, and they asked them, one of the things they asked them, what following changes in Cleveland benefited you, your family, or your neighborhood? And at the top of the list was how the Metro Parks has managed and improved both Edgewater Park and Euclid Beach, which has to be gratifying. I will tell you that and talking to people from, you ask people like, why do you like living in Tacoma? Why do you like living in Seattle? They give you answers. When you ask people why they like living in Cleveland, the Metro Parks is something that always pops up over and over. Why is that? Well, we're truly humble to be in everybody's thoughts. And when I think of the institution that's now 104 years old, our zoo is now 139 years old. I mean, we've really been part of the fabric or the landscape of Northeast Ohio with 24,000 plus acres and continuing to grow we have really looked at how can we continue to influence um, this region. And the big picture is, is that, you know, the eight, there's $873 million um, worth of economic impact that happens. And so when you talk about the landscape relative to Edgewater Beach, Villa Angela, Euclid Wildwood, East 72nd, East 55th, the landscape around the lakefront changed dramatically. And, you know, we're, we're thankful for the state of Ohio, who was the shepherd of it for more than 35 years. They did a lot of nice capital improvements. And we were able to really change the narrative around it. Um, the Tiger program that just most recently happened, which is transportation investment generating economic recovery, built a number of trails that make connections. The towpath, canal basin park is happening. So it's really nice to know that we're top of mind. And I would say, um, when you talk to people outside of the region, what do they miss most if they move someplace else? The number one answer is always the Cleveland Metro Parks, and that's not lost on our staff. Congratulations, you have a new resident to zoo. We have actually multiple residents at the zoo. The most famous right now is currently um, our new gorilla baby that was just born uh, within the past few weeks. Uh, the first uh, lowland gorilla in Western lowland gorilla at our zoo in 139 years. We had a Francois Langer monkey um, in the last couple of days, and we've got a koala baby as well. So there is really something for everyone to come here and visit. And our tiger cubs are still cute and adorable as well. It's funny. I live in a household in which someone demanded to be taken to see the baby giraffe a few years ago. I'm like, we don't have any kids to take to the zoo. She's like, I don't care. I want to see that baby giraffe right now. <laughs> Our giraffe exhibit is really an amazing uh, feature of the zoo right in the heart of the zoo. Um, they're an animal with the largest heart. Um, they have to pump blood all the way up to the top of their head. They've got you know, a really neat story here at the zoo, how we've been able to breed them. Uh, not only that, but our rhino collection here as well is, is one of the top breeding programs in North America. There's so much to talk about, but one of the things we have to talk about is it takes a lot of resources to maintain the Metro Parks. You just purchase something new in the flats that was going to help. How's it going to help the system? Cleveland Metro Parks, the 1545 park districts were designed to help acquire and preserve land. And when you look at our 104 year history, the very first three acres that started in Rocky River to now more than 24,257, we continue to add parcels of land that can add value to the system. And there's properties that are, are in the flats, uh, Rivergate Park, and I give the credit to the uh, 
the rowing foundation. They did an amazing job preserving and securing 6.2 plus acres for the start of Rivergate Park. We've been able to expand on that with our partners at the city of Cleveland and others. We've added acreage there. Uh, the foundry has come on board, which is um, creating opportunities for more connections to the waterfront via sailing or crew, um, whatever it happens to be there, there is a unique opportunity. And um, we're in the negotiations for other parcels of land um, throughout the, uh, the metropolitan area. We just most recently approved a, an opportunity in Medina County in our Hinkley Township part, um, connecting to Medina County. And that's been one of our long-term strategies of how do we connect um, this 100 plus year old institution to the other park systems around us. Let's go back a year or so. Uh, obviously, you had to close a lot of things for COVID. What was the recovery process like for the Metro Parks? Well, it was a really interesting process. There's, there's, there was nothing that um, said this is the right way or the wrong way. We really tried to take our cues off of you know, the capacity and uh, the zoo was closed for two and a half months and we pivoted to a drive-through concept and by all accounts, uh, we've actually kept it. So from a positive end of uh, a COVID kind of push-pull, we incorporated that into our Asian Lantern Festival. We incorporated it into our Wild Winter Lights last year, and we did the same this year. So there were some positives that came out of it. Merwin's Wharf, um, the igloos, we were able to uh, bring more of them online early. Um, they're rented. They're, they're all kind of set up for that outdoor experience. We're bringing in a sheet of ice this year. So that was another positive, how to get out and get active. Um, but some of the parks, you know, we were challenged. Edgewater Park is a great example. People were watching, and it's like it was overcrowded. And so we actually worked to close some of the parking lots down. Rocky River, great experiments. I'm a cyclist. I love the fact that we actually closed parts of the roads. Now, some people didn't like that as much, but I will tell you it was from a cyclist and in, in a, a decompression uh, standpoint, it was an absolutely right thing to do that we were able to create essentially protected bike lanes for uh, miles in the park. So we really kind of had to pivot. Um, we did lose some significant revenue across the way, um, and but we continued to find ways to to make it through. A report from the Trust for Public Lands stated the Metro Parks generate some $73 million in economic value for the region. Let's talk about some of those numbers. Do we know how much direct spending the Metro Parks generate? Well, that's, you know, the, that's a great question. And, and, and depending on how you look at the recreation visits and recreation opportunities, it can be in the 40s and $50 million. When you look at stormwater sequestration, you know, we are the, 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 the kidneys of the region, basically, between the Chagrin River, Rocky River, the Cuyahoga River, and all the tributary, tributaries like Tinker's Creek, um, a lot of the water runs through our system. So the valuation of that, the work that we do with our partners at the Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District, the work that we're doing with the port. When we talk about the proximate principle, land closest or adjacent to high quality parks has an inherent value. Land that's closer has a higher value. When you look at acquisitions that we continue to make. It's been really interesting to see the TODs, transportation oriented developments that are starting to follow along the towpath trails. One of them is the Edison project over uh, the Electric Gardens project over in the Tremont area. So it continues to grow from that end of things. And, you know, the valuation, you think of it if, if this 24,000 acre jewel wasn't here. Uh, when we think about direct spending at the zoo between nine and $10 million a year, we look at the economic impact of the golf courses that's in the $8 million number. So, you know, there's a tremendous amount of things that funnel into the overall economic impact for the region. And we're really a value add. And I think the other thing that it doesn't get captured in there is the opportunity from a recruitment standpoint. So if all things are equal, when I've done recruitment work for Sherwin-Williams and Stouffer's and, and Swagelock and others, 
the park system is that that aha moment where they can see themselves here and whether they're into a sailing, a golf, um, hiking, uh, the Cuyahoga Valley National Park is certainly another asset as well. And all the regional park districts around us, it's over 70,000 acres worth of preserved green space. So it's really an economic engine that helps funnel uh, funds into this community. One of the things I think gets lost sometimes is the health benefit of the metro parks. Instead of sitting in front of our TVs watching Netflix, you go to the park, you take a walk, you ride your bike. Well, and that's, you know, that's a number that can be broken down into people that are active two to three times per week. It's a, it's a healthcare benefit of almost 250 to $300 per year off your healthcare savings. And, and that's directly attributed to getting up, getting active, getting going in the parks. And um, it's about getting that heart rate up. And, you know, we've got Fort Hill stairs that you can climb, uh, you know, a very nice vertical. The chalet stairs can give you that a nice hike down in Hinkley. So there's a direct um, benefit when you look at the healthcare institutions, our partnership with Metro Health. Um, you know, the work that we're doing with them, we really want people to be out and active in a high quality park situation and keep them safe and, and keep them moving. The parks received a very nice honor about a month or so ago. Can you tell us about it? Well, we were, we were blessed. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's hard to put into words because the team, the effort that was put in, and, and, and we won it during a pandemic year. Um, we won the National Gold Medal from the Academy of Park and Recreation for the, the best run park system in the country. It is our fifth time, is the second under my leadership. And uh, the first one was sweet, but I will tell you the validation of the second one, it wasn't bad. We're talking with Brian Zimmerman. He is the CEO of the Cleveland Metro Parks. He joins us today for The Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. We are presented with the support of Weatherhead Executive Education at Case Western Reserve University. Brian, this past summer, the Metro Parks opened the Wendy Park Bridge and the Whiskey Island Trail. They were the final two pieces of a larger puzzle. What did those pieces complete? Wow, it was like a Rubik's Cube for sure going into downtown. And, and uh, it, it was one of those projects that just became part of your life. And um, I, I can remember phone calls early on. Um, I was at a track meet at like five o'clock. Uh, watching my son run a hundred yard dash and I'm on the phone with the railroad company down in Atlanta, Georgia and lawyers. And we were working through the logistics of how to hang this bridge over one of the most active railroads in the country. We had the air rights to be there, but I will tell you, they didn't make the process easy, um, but it was really about the reconnecting Cleveland. And, and when we talk about opportunities in this town between the Cleveland Foundation, Gunn Foundation, the Wendy Park Foundation, um, the $8 million that came from the Tiger Grant, um, and hosts of others that include the state capital budget um, and then private philanthropic dollars that really brought this forward. Um, it was really putting really the pieces to the puzzle together to connect this network. And the, the Red Line Greenway is a great example of the Rotarians of Cleveland, um, the rapid beautification process they had shepherded for decades, um, the opportunity to connect uh, six distinct neighborhoods, 66,000 residents to a trail connection. Uh, I've gotten on it, I would say, a dozen plus times, and there is always people on there. They're always getting active. It goes all the way out to the zone rec facility. So it was really about this connection opportunity. And when we look at the Wendy Park, uh, Whiskey Island, uh, the bridge, we look at the trail connection, connection out in front of the port, uh, connecting around the sewer district to Edgewater Park and all the way to 117th Street is our, you know, the ultimate goal. It's really, truly awesome to see how well we've migrated into this culture of cycling inside of a built out city. Um, certainly there's an opportunity on the east side. We're looking at East 9th to East 55th. How do we close that critical gap from the Rock Hall, the Science Center, the Brown Stadium? Could you imagine being able to, to, to bike from the University Circle area all the way to downtown to watch a game and then be able to, to cycle home um, safely on a trail connection? That's a, that's a really big deal and that's not lost on us. 
we mentioned the golf courses as we began, and it's interesting. There was a real uptick in golf play. Golf is a sport that in some respects has kind of been on the wane, but over this last year at the Metro Parks, that was not the case. Well, and it's certainly a unique opportunity to reconnect, and I, I love the fact. I, I grew up, my grandfather, how I got into the park world. My grandfather was a dairy farmer, and um, after he stopped milking cows and farming actively, uh, he didn't know what to do with himself early in the morning, and so he picked up the game of golf in his late 60s. And I got into a career of being on the golf courses, on the maintenance side of things, running 16 municipal golf courses and, and 156 parks in Milwaukee before I got here. But to see kind of the ebb and flow of the Tiger Woods push-pull in the mid-90s, it did definitely kind of uh, flatline for quite a number of years. And it was one of those things that you could do safely, safely distance. And we increased our tee times. We've increased the capacity of the facilities. Our Seneca golf course um, had an over $4.5 million facelift. Uh, and that is truly remarkable. Two of our courses are in the top 25 of uh, best municipal golf courses in the country, Sleepy Hollow being number 13. Um, we've added a brand new irrigation system there. So we put investment into them. But the community absolutely loves loves the facilities. Um, I hear so many stories. My first round of golf was at Little Met. My first round of golf was at Mastic, where I have the teaching program with our first tee partners in, in Newburgh Heights um, and at our Washington Park facility. So golf has seen a nice resurgence. And um, this year, the numbers were just as strong. And um, I, I love the fact that we're seeing new people or people pick the game up again once they, they kind of uh, uh, maybe you know moved on to something else. I think it's important to note that often people think, if I want to play golf, I have to belong to a country club that not everybody can afford to belong to a country club, but you can go golf at the Metro Parks. It's affordable. Absolutely. And, you know, when I think of um, the fact that golf course number one, Little Met was built first um, almost 100 years ago. Uh, public golf has been part of our DNA since this park system was founded. And the fact that it is accessible and the fact that we offer golf camps and learning centers and driving ranges, you do have that opportunity to have a high quality golf experience. Uh, like I said, Sleepy Hollow and Manakiki, two of the top golf courses in the country are right in your backyard. We mentioned that fall is in the air and it's time to go look at the leaves. Any suggestions on how to make it a great experience? I'm a morning person, so I, I like the idea of taking a nice thermos of coffee and, and going for a hike in the woods with, with Eli, our Weimariner. Um, it, it's an absolutely beautiful time of year. Bedford Reservation is absolutely stunning, the views into the gorge area. When I think of Hinkley, Hinkley Reservation and Hinkley Lake down there, to see that panoramic view. Um, my office is here at the Cleveland Metro Park Zoo, and I'm looking out over uh, the Big Creek area and the zoo. And um, it's just truly a remarkable time of year. The vibrancy, the colors, the opportunity to get out. Squires Castle, one of the most photographed uh, parts of the entire park district, um, that that panoramic view, that canvas that you can see there. You can tell I love fall. It's just kind of like signaling, um, you know, the end of a great summer. And, you know, we certainly know what's next winter, but, you know, we have opportunities for snowshoeing, cross-country skiing. Um, winter is really a great time to embrace. We're bringing uh, ice skating, an actual sheet of ice to Merwin's Wharf. We've got our chalet that's been here for over 50 years, and uh, it's truly remarkable. I, I love this time of year. Winterfest starts, I think, November 26th down there. Is that right? Winterfest. And, and uh, I, I'm actually looking out of my office today and I can see Christmas lights. So Wild Winter Lights is back, uh, powered by NOPEC. And um, it's, it's one of those really wonderful you know, things. We, we, we finished Asian Lantern Festival. We went into Trick or Treat Fest and now we're headed into you know, Wild Winter Lights. We've got the baby gorilla, the baby Francois Langer monkey. I mean, it's, it's just it's this awesome dynamic that we're constantly in motion. And, and I love the fact that our teams respond and they work hard. We've got an amazing police force um, to help keep, keep people safe and keep people active.
That might be my imagination, but I swear I think Clevelanders in the last 10 years have embraced being outside in the winter more. I mean, things like Bright Winterfest and, and, and what you guys do at the parks. Is, 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 am I thinking that? Or is that, it looks like people are like, you know, it's cold outside, so what? Let's get out there. I think that's honestly true. And, and last year really proved it out too. You know, people are um, really looking at, you know, how do I get out? How do I get active? What do I do when I go to a park? We've done the fat tire bike races over at Shawnee Hills. Um, you know, and it's interesting, my, my philosophy on, on the, the calendar, I think the calendar has shifted a little bit, right? I think our August kind of bleed well into September, our September bleeds well into October. And so I think the calendar has shifted a little bit. And, you know, we're blessed if if the Lake Erie freezes, right, we don't get as much snow, but if it, it stays open, we can get a lot of snow. And then those opportunities to build, um, you know, snow forts or um, doing some sledding at our various locations, or like I said, we do um, set tracks at Big Met for cross-country skiing and hot chocolate time of year. It's just it's just a wonderful time to be reflective. And I don't think there's anything better than that first hike in the morning when the snow crunches underneath your feet. It's It's just awesome. Mountain biking seems to be something that people are taking more advantage of these days. And the Metro Parks has an interesting thing going on at the Ohio and Erie Canal Reservation. Well, we've made a, a, a really strong and we've made it a strong priority between the very first miles that were actually at Ohio and Erie Canal and 2.3 miles. We added mileage in the Millstream Run Reservation. We've added miles in Bedford Reservation. Now we're back into the Ohio and Erie Canal and really looking at this new pump track concept. And it's phase one of three phases. Uh, our goal is to add a competition track um, along the way and then a skills track as well. We have the number one, um, what I would call pump track uh, professional, uh, came up from um, down in the Cincinnati area, did a heck of a video. It, it is an absolutely awesome uh, area to see um, this kind of new recreation opportunity. And when I look at, um, we added additional miles at Ohio and Erie Canal and Cuyahoga Heights. Um, we really have tried very hard to integrate cycling more opportunities and this connectedness concept is extremely important to us that um, you know, we want to get to 10 minutes um, to a park location and, and that's not lost on um, the fact that we're going to continue to do that hard work. Let's circle back to where we started for a moment and talk about this notion of what the Metro Parks role is in terms of conservation with things like the watershed and, and, and wetlands. Because I think, you know, we think of the attractions. I want to go to the golf course. I want to go to the zoo. I want to go to Edgewater. But I think a lot of people don't really think about that important role that the Metro Parks play in, in conserving what Northeast Ohio is all about. Well, I think in the last 10 years, we've acquired more than 2,250 acres. And when you think about it in the context of we're not making more land, right? There's not more land. And so the opportunity to conserve this for future generations. And I think there's always this, you know, very unique balance between a built up community and development. And I think if we do our jobs the right way, some of this development will, will happen and spur along, you know, the, the economic side of things. And so it's been a huge priority for us. Uh, Brighton Park with our partners at Western Reserve Land Conservancy, the old Brooklyn CDC, um, taking a, a landfill area um, that was kind of known for midnight dumping and now turning, you know, what was it was known kind of as an eyesore into a jewel. And that connection there makes this connection to the zoo uh, really a, a much more, uh, you know, opportunistic to go through the neighborhoods and then connect to the towpath. So we continue to look at, you know, the, the built out environment. How do we protect land? How do we connect people? The focus on connecting people to the parks and uh, that comes into an accessibility and, and a new strategic plan that we're going for. Um, is really about the welcoming. How do we welcome people to the parks? How do they how do they use the parks when they get there? And so, you know, the the opportunity is to continue to grow the system and connect the system to our residents. 
Brian Zimmerman, thanks so much for joining us today to share some thoughts about the Metro Parks, an important part of Northeast Ohio. You guys do a wonderful job. We're glad you could join us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. And it's truly an honor to be able to tell the story of now a 100 plus year old institution. And if you haven't had a chance, please come out and check out that wonderful baby gorilla um, up in Primate Cat and Aquatic here at the zoo. Brian Zimmerman is the CEO of the Cleveland Metro Parks. He joined us today for the Landscape of Crane's Cleveland podcast. We are presented with the support of Weatherhead Executive Education at Case Western Reserve University. On behalf of our producer, Cody Smith, I'm Dan Palata. Thank you for joining us, and we'll talk again soon.